Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. kick off a new series here this morning I'm so excited about. It's something I've been thinking about since last year that God has been speaking to me about. And uh, it's a series called Vibrant. I want to talk to you about the word vibrant and how that word made its way into our, our, our language and into our vision statement that we wrote down when we started Anchor Church. And for us, I don't know if you, if you do your word for the year. Does anybody here have like a word for the year? Like what's your one word for 2022? The one word that you're believing for, that you're praying into? Uh, maybe some of you have done that where you believe that your word is, is restoration or, or increase or husband, maybe for some of you, wife for some of you, um, you know, whatever your word is for 2022. Our word as a church is the word vibrant. Come on, we've been through so much in the last two years that has been dull, that has been dreary, that has been full of doom and gloom. We've been through so many situations. Uh, We've walked through lockdowns. We've walked through pandemics. We've walked through setbacks, changes in jobs and relationships and hardships. We've walked through so many things. And, And I remember in a time in my life when I had gone through a season of suffering, when somebody came to me and said to me, you know what, even Job's suffering had to end at a point. Even Job's suffering had a, you know, a pause to it at a moment when things transitioned. And I believe that it is a transitional year for us where we are going to be transitioning into the vibrant community and the vibrant lives that God has called us to live. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, life to the full, life that's vibrant, life that's pulsating with the goodness of God, not a life where you wake up every morning and you're, and you're already discouraged by the time you get out of bed. Come on, there's something in our faith that I believe God wants to activate in the beginning of this year for the things that lie ahead, because it's going to require faith. It's going to require that commitment to focus on Jesus above all else, to not hear and listen to the voices around you and all the things that discourage you, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. And so that's what we're going to do this year. And uh, so I thought I would share just a short history of our church when we started uh, just under seven years ago now, uh, because some of you who are here today, maybe visitors may not have heard this before, but, but I had it in my heart to plant a church from the time that I was in high school. I actually just felt an acceleration of the call of God, and I wrote some courses, and I went up in assembly, and I, I, I said to you know the thousand or so kids in my school, hey, I've, I've written this course, and if you don't know what God is about, we're going to do this course, and we're going we're gonna to just tell you who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, and, and it's going to be amazing, and you can come. And, and I started teaching these things in school, and I had many of those uh, of my classmates and, and other learners in my school come to this, and it was really that as a defining moment for me that you know, I remember one day praying for, there's about 40 kids in the class, and, and uh, I was going to, I just taught them about the Holy Spirit, and I was going to be praying for them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was about 16 years old, and, and I'd never done it before, so I was pretty nervous. And so I told everybody to take a break. We had done some teaching, and I stood outside, and I stood, and I talked to God, and I said, God, if this doesn't work, it's on you. Like, they're not going to disbelieve me. They're going to disbelieve you, God. So you better make this happen. I was super nervous uh, praying for all these kids. And I remember walking into that room 
And I had a little hi-fi that I brought from home. And I pressed play on that hi-fi. And there was a song called Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. And that's basically the whole song. That line repeats over and over again for like six minutes. Um, but something happened that was amazing. These were kids that had not been in church, that, that hadn't you know, met Jesus, didn't grow up in any kind of tradition. They just, just absolutely knew nothing. If anything, they may have gone to a Catholic church over Christmas or Easter. And all of a sudden, as they were spread out in this room, the Holy Spirit just filled that place. Honestly, like few times I've ever experienced in my life. And instantly, every single person was in tears. All of us, we were just, there was no structure to it. I just said, stand around and just worship. And everybody was in tears and God was just working. Even the teachers, there was two teachers that came to just supervise and support. And um, they were in tears. And I started to pray for people and I just saw God touch people amazingly. I walked out that day and I said, okay, God, that's all I want to do for the rest of my life. That's, this is the thing. I, if I can see you working in people's lives like this, that's all I want to do. And so I committed to it at that point, went uh, after school, studied theology, um, started working in ministry, uh, entered ministry at the age, full time at the age of 21, uh, after working for a Christian youth publication for a while. And all the while, as I was even, uh, you know, starting out with youth ministry and, and preaching in universities and campuses and schools, high schools and so forth, I had it in my heart that one day God will use me to plant a community, to plant a life-giving church, to, to, to establish a work of God in the city of Joburg and, and who knows how many cities of the world. And, and that was in my heart. I was you know, 19 and this was the thing. I was disappointed. I was a little bit goal-orientated. I was disappointed when I turned 19 and I hadn't raised someone from the dead yet. That was, it was in my goals. I had short-term and long-term goals and that was like a short-term goal. At that point, I'm still waiting. But um, so a little bit intense. I've matured since then. But, um, but it was always in my heart. It was always in my heart to, to establish a church. And so I worked in ministry for about 10 years as a youth pastor and, and, um, and, and, and serving as, as an associate and preaching pastor at a church in our city. And, and, and all the while, even when I started that associate pastor role, I said to them, you know, that it is in my heart to plant. And they said to me, can you give us three years? We just need you for a season to help us establish some things here. Um, and, and then we'll release you to do that. And so at the end of 2014, um, I felt that, that the time is, is coming near. It's, it, it felt a little bit, and I don't know what this feels like, but I can just imagine it being pregnant for a very long time. Some, some of the ladies are like, please don't say that. You, can, you, you don't even know. Um, but I can imagine what it feels like to be pregnant for a very long time and then to realize all of a sudden it is now time. The time is now. This baby is coming. This thing is going to be birthed. And, and that's how it felt for me at that time of the year. And so there was an acceleration, you know. There was like, this is happening. The labor pains are there. Um, I've, I've, I've actually got to give birth to this thing now. And, and it was an incredible time in my life where many nights I didn't sleep. I promise you many nights I sat up dreaming and praying and writing things down. And like there was an intensity there that, that was just so invigorating. And, and I remember sitting down one night. Everybody had gone to bed. It was late at night. It was probably around midnight. And I sat down on my couch and I closed my eyes. And I imagined what kind of church would I like to lead one day? What does that church look like? What is, what is your picture of church? When you hear the word church, when you close your eyes, and when you imagine the ideal church, the perfect church, the church that you would, if you were leading, that you would love to lead, what does that church look like? 
What, what, what is the atmosphere like? What is the faith like? What's happening in the worship? What's happening through the preaching? What's happening in the community? What, what do the prayers sound like? What are the people's faces? What's the attitude, the heart? These were the things that I dreamt about before we even had our first service. And, and, and I sat there and all these pictures were running through my mind and through my heart of what Anchor Church would look like once it was birthed. And, um, and, and, and I opened my eyes after a while and I wrote down, we live to build a vibrant church that will share the hope of Jesus with our city. I wrote that down in that moment, and we've held fast to that. We've held fast to that. It's always been our vision to take the hope of Jesus, His grace, His goodness, His love, to a dying world and to show them who Jesus is. I wanted people to know Jesus. Every single person, we're like a mosaic. When you put us all together as a community and you stand a distance away and you look at us, what you see should be the face of Jesus. That's who we are as a community. And I always wanted to, to take that message, that hope, and everything that Jesus has done in my life, even through all my failures and all my flaws, and I wanted to take that hope to a city and have a community that will do that together that's vibrant, that's passionately in love with Jesus. And so that's what I wrote down in that moment, a church that is authentic, that is passionate, that is joyful, a church that is spiritually vibrant first and foremost, that's vibrant in its love for Jesus and determined to seek Him and worship Him wholeheartedly. Come on, I, I was once offered a job by a church in a season where I was between uh, one role within um, employment within a church and another one, and, and I, I got offers from several churches and I visited them. And you know why I didn't go to the one church, even though it was, you know, there were some great people there and, and I felt like it was, it was a really good church. You know why I didn't go? And I know this is just me, but it was just a preference. It's because the people didn't clap hands in worship. I was like, you've got to be a little bit more excited about Jesus than this, surely. Surely, come on. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm also kind of allergic to, you know, a thing where it becomes inauthentic, where we just, you know, but, but at the same time, I, I want to see people that are passionate about their relationship with Jesus. It does something. It does something in the heart of every visitor because they can see that this is something we genuinely believe. And so this is the kind of church that I dreamed of creating. The picture of church that I had in that moment was so full of life and joy and depth that it instantly framed all of our founding documents. It instantly framed what we would do, what our language would be, what our vision and our purpose would be, and it, and it made it possible for us to express this in simple sentences. We knew what we were about from day one. We know who we're about as Anchor Church. You might be new to Anchor, you might be a visitor to Anchor, it might be your first Sunday, but you'll find out real quick that if you cut us, we know what we'll bleed. We know what we're about. It's, it's our heart. It's what we are alive for. And so, and so we live to build a vibrant church that will share the hope of Jesus with our city. And in that, I just saw this community of deeply faithful people pursuing Jesus and reaching out to the unchurched. There was a missional quality over it. When we started out, we started in the upstairs area of a restaurant, right in the middle of a bunch of other restaurants with these big glass windows. And I loved it because we could actually see the mission field. We weren't stuck away on some campus, you know, or in some school, whatever it might be. We were in the mission field and we could actually see the people eating breakfast that we were praying for at the same time. 
And many times we invited them up. A lot of people are still here today because they got invited back then. We had one guy that I did a memorial service for at the end of last year, a young guy that passed away, that is in heaven today because as our team was setting up, we walked past one of the stores and he was working in one of the shops and somebody said, hey, why don't you come along? We've got church. And he came and he got saved, he got baptized. He was part of our first ever baptism. This was some of the life-changing stuff God allowed us to be a part of. I don't know if you've ever stood, maybe this morning, but stood in a room full of faith-filled people. A few weeks after I had uh, written all these things down, I was invited to the Drakensberg to go to uh, a meeting with pastors from all over the country, some that came from, from L.A. and other places in the world. And um, there's about 250 of these pastors, and, and we met at a spot in the Drakensberg. And, and, and I remember that the worship that, that they had organized was only one guy with a guitar and one guy on a cahoon. Now, if you don't know what a cahoon is, make sure you Google that correctly, okay? It's spelled C-A-J-O-N. You might end up with some other results there. So anyway, so he sat on this little wooden box, and you use it as a drum. And it was a, a guy just playing the drum on this little wooden box, and a guy with a guitar, and, and that was the worship. But you know what was the amazing thing? The room was so full of faith with all the men and women that were gathered in that room, that the worship team wasn't leading the worship, the people were. The men and women in that room were. And I instantly burst into tears, first worship session. And I think I cried in every single one of them. Eventually people were coming over to find out if I was okay. But I was just, when you stand in a room full of faithful people, there's something in the atmosphere there's something vibrant. There's something alive. There's something life-giving. That's the feeling we talk about when we talk about a vibrant church. It's electric. It's life-giving. It's, it's faith-stirring. It's vibrant, and it's supernatural. It's not just a natural thing where we just go to church and we sing a song. It's not a religious thing. It's not, it's not a human thing. It's supernatural. We're engaging through the Spirit of God with our Creator. There's faith in the room. And that's what we're believing for and have believed for from the beginning. And so the church that I've always dreamt of leading pulsates with the presence of the Holy Spirit. It pulsates with the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is experienced in everything that we do. Something like we see when we open up our Bibles and we read the book of Acts and we find out what it, what it tells us, what happened, what that early community of, of unbelievers become believers that had no protocol, they had no paradigm, they had no, you know, they had no manual on how to do church. They just got together and the Spirit of God led them. And we, we, we started Anchor Church, our very first series that we started on our second ever Sunday, which would have been the 12th of April, 2015, was The Acts. We wanted to see what God would do if he took a bunch of ordinary people and empowered them by his Holy Spirit. What could the church become? And so we spent almost our first entire year of a church, as a church going through the book of Acts. This is what it looks like when a community has an authentic encounter with a living God. And so we live to build a vibrant church that will share the hope of Jesus with our city. I never unpacked in the seven years that, since then what I meant by that word vibrant. I never actually preached sermons on it. I never did a series on it. I never explained it any further because 
in that vision and in that moment that I experienced it, it wasn't really a goal as much as it was a feeling. It was a result of, of everything else that God would be doing. And so I never really unpacked it. And, and as we came closer to the end of 2021, I got the sense that our church was re reaching the end of one cycle and the beginning of another. They say that churches grow in cycles of seven. And all of a sudden, I felt like God was saying, you know, you even think about, about, about Jacob who was in love with Rachel and then worked for seven years to get her and got Leah. That is still one of the strangest stories in the Bible. The dad, I, I just can imagine. I think Leah ended up being a really great wife and, 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 and really good to, to Jacob. And, and so it was kind of like the wife he needed, but not the one he wanted. Um, but I still imagine a dad being like, you know what? I'm worried about this other daughter of mine. She is not pretty. So I'm going to just, he wants that one, but I'm just going to give him this one first, right? Like just, and so he works seven years and he gets Leah. And so he works another seven years to get Rachel. Yes, he could have two wives. It was a different time back then. But the point is, <laughs> the, the point is that there's the seven years and seven years and seven years. And I believe that God has used these past seven years to, to shape some things in us as a church that he's now going to give us the potential that or, or in these past seven years, he's given us the potential to walk in the things we're going to walk in in the next seven. Amen. Come on, how many of you believe that it's a time for us to fulfill what this, what this vision was all about uh, when we set it out in the beginning of, uh, of this journey? And so as we came to the end of this year and as we will enter our eighth year as a church, I believe God is going to reinvigorate. He's going to come through. He's going, to, he's going to establish that culture and vision that we have as a church. And what, we, what God does in this year, I believe, will most likely shape the next seven for our church who knows what God will do? He's done so much in the first seven. I cannot even imagine what he'll do in the next seven. And so with that, I felt like it was finally a uh, time to unpack what that word vibrant means. What does it look like to be a vibrant church? And so on holiday, my wife and I, we went into a little lounge and we closed the door and we just sat and we prayed and we thought about this year and what this will, will be about. And, and I again closed my eyes and I, I imagined church all over again. And, and I opened my eyes, and this time I wrote down four things. What does a vibrant church look like? Four words that came out of it. It starts with this, and we can put this up, a vibrant, vibrant prayer. A church that is vibrant is first and foremost vibrant spiritually. Vibrant in its relationship and communication with God. Vibrant in its faith. Vibrant in its dependence upon Jesus. It's a spiritually vibrant, authentic community. And so vibrant prayer. We are not going to be a vibrant church unless we are vibrant uh, uh, prayer warriors. The second thing I wrote down was vibrant worship. Come on, you can, you can tell the temperature of a church. I absolutely believe this. I visited churches all over the world. You can tell the temperature of the church by the worship. You can tell the hearts of the people how desperate they are for Jesus or how self-reliant they are based on their worship. And we don't always have a perfect worship set. For those of you that have been a part of any worship team, you'll know that there are technical difficulties. There are structural challenges. There are always, you know, you never have a perfect worship. But I, I've always said to, to, to our band that uh, we, we desire passion over perfection. At least if you're doing it passionately. So vibrant worship. The third one, vibrant community, because it's authentic. Vibrant community is, 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 is as a place that doesn't just 
have a bunch of strangers that get together in a room on a Sunday, but people that are involved with each other's lives, that are leading community groups, that are attending community groups, that are doing life together, that are praying for one another, supporting each other. This is not a show on a Sunday where, where the band and the pastor come and do a little dance and everybody goes home. No, this is a place that we together are building as a family. This is home. This is just our once a month, uh, once a week Sunday, for some of you once a month, uh, should be once a week, uh, once a week time that we come together to actually, to actually corporately worship and do the things that you can't do online. The laying on of hands, the corporate worship, the communion, you know, the baptisms, the sacraments, these are the things we do together. But beyond that, there's something that needs to happen in those community groups and we wanted that to be authentic, authentic community, vibrant community. And finally, the fourth thing I wrote down was vibrant growth. Vibrant growth. And growth means more than one thing. Spiritual growth. That your life, that you start a journey when you're here at Anchor where you, where you begin to take the next step, whatever your next step is. That you are growing in your relationship with Jesus. That you are becoming a true disciple. That you, are, that you are growing spiritually. That we're growing in mission. That we're reaching out to the city. That we're feeding the poor. That we're, that we're making a difference in our nation, in our city, in the people's lives around us. That there's some growth. That there's something that's, that's healthy and alive. If you think about it, anything that's healthy grows. If it's healthy, it grows. And so we want health so that we can have growth. And also growth numerically. We want to reach people. We want to make a difference. We don't want to keep the gospel to ourselves in a room amongst a few of us so that we can feel good about what God has done for us. No, we want to take the message out. And so vibrant growth, those four things, prayer, worship, community, and growth, are the things that we are trusting God for in 2022. And I'm going to unpack those um, uh, in the next few weeks. The definition that you get from the Oxford Dictionary for the word vibrant, it's an adjective which means full of energy and life. Full of energy and life. Similar words, and I love this, was spirited, lively, energetic, determined, dynamic. Listen to this. Have a go and ballsy. Come on. <laughs> to me, that describes Anchor Church. Come on, we just do stuff. You know that when we started Anchor Church, our monthly income in total was like 40,000 rand a month. We then committed to a venue that was going to charge us 12,000 rand a Sunday, so 48,000 a month. We didn't have the money for it. We did it anyways, right? We've committed and overcommitted because we have faith. Now, you know, there's limit, there's faith, and then there's presumption, and we can have another sermon on that one day. But the point is, is that when we felt God say we should do something, we decided we were going to be ballsy. We were going to have a go. We were going to leave it all out on the field. We weren't going to go into it half-heartedly. It's pulsating, the second meeting, meaning they're pulsating, quivering, shaking, quaking, shuddering. It comes from the Latin verb vibrare, which means to shake, to and fro. And it's where we get our English word vibrate from, vibrate and vibrant. This idea of movement, energy, potential, the kind of church that we want to be. Something in the room. The Holy Spirit is doing something. So how do we begin to experience the shaking? How do we begin to experience the, 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 the vibrations of the Holy Spirit and the move of God in a church? Is there any scriptural passage 
in the New Testament that could give us some direction as to how we could experience the vibration of the Spirit, the vibrancy that God has designed our lives to contain or to experience. I want to go to Acts 4 and verse 31. Right there in the beginning, the first church, when they got together and trusted God to do something, And it tells us in Acts 4 and verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, vibrant. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. It wasn't shaken and so they prayed as a result. No, the place was shaken once they had trusted in God. Once they had aligned themselves with the purposes of God, once they had given the, the, you know, faith is a movement away from yourself. Not I'm going to do it in my own strength, but I'm declaring my dependence upon God. It is a declaration of dependence upon Jesus. And as we make that declaration, there's something powerful that happens spiritually in our lives and in our communities when we pray. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was present and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness, doing the work of the ministry God had called them to do. So we must begin with prayer. If you haven't written a title down for my message yet this morning, the message that I am sharing with you is called Vibrant Prayer. Prayer is the engine room of our lives and of our mission. It's the engine room. And if You had to be really, really honest with yourself this morning. And I had to ask you the question, what is your engine room? You know, you could have a beautiful car on the outside, but if it doesn't have an engine, it's not going to go anywhere. What drives your life? What makes you get up in the morning? What gets you to take the next step? What fills your tank with faith? What moves you forward? For many of us, it's just determination. It's pursuing success in a worldly sense. It's, it's running after uh, or away from fear sometimes that drives us. We're driven sometimes more by fear than by faith. I've got to work harder because what happens if, if, if I don't make enough money at the end of the month, if I don't get enough commission, if, there's, if, if, if I fall short? And so we're driven by these things. But prayer is our first language. I love how David writes, and he says that, that my soul, my frame wasn't hidden from you, in, you know, when, when, you, when you skillfully put me together in my mother's womb. I'm, I'm, I'm wonderfully made, and my soul knows it very well. You know, from the womb, every single individual knows the voice of God, has a connection with the Creator. And so... When we pray, we're speaking our first language. Whatever other language you might have that you grew up with, it's nothing compared to the language you were praying in your mother's womb. When you knew that your soul was being fashioned by the Creator. It's an incredible thing that happens when we begin to pray. We connect with our our Creator every time we pray. The Scriptures tell us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And even as believers, it takes a matter of seconds for us to turn from trusting in God. You might even be thinking right now in this sermon, hey, that's really awesome. I really need to trust God. And by the time you're in your car, you're already thinking how much you've got to do in your own strength. 
within the flash of a, of a moment, we go from trusting in God to trying to figure it out in our own strength. And prayer is the antidote to that. It's the remedy to that. When we pray, we're saying, God, I can't, but you can. And so in that, we find rest instead of trying to figure it out in our own strength. So our prayer life is necessary because it constantly brings us back to a place of fellowship and rest in God. When prayer is not your engine room, you're determined to be driven by your own willpower, by your desire for success, by your longing for affirmation. But a man or a woman who prays knows their worth, knows their God, trusts in Him, because every morning, every day, you walk with your Creator. And so why would God shake a room like he did here in the book of Acts? Why would he physically even shake the room for a small group of disciples that prayed together? Well, I believe it's because God was showing them that he is faithful to his promises. That he is faithful to his promises. Matthew 28 verse 18, when Jesus gave the great commission, he starts off by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all the authority. I have all the power. I have all the dominion. It's all in me. Go therefore, because Jesus is Jesus and he is victorious, we get to go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so now Jesus ascends and they're praying together and the room vibrates with the power of God. And they're like, Jesus fulfilled his promise. He is still present. And so even when we get together on a Sunday morning, when we pray together, when we stand together, Jesus continually shows himself faithful. He shows up. Miracles happen. Lives are changed. The place is shaken. This is what Jesus does. He is a very present help in time of need. He is not an absent father. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now that word hovering, if you go and look it up, it's the word rokaf, which means to brood, to pulsate, to move, to shake to vibrate. The Spirit of God is hovering, is brooding, is pulsating. And I believe that the Spirit of God is, is pulsing over your life, brooding over your life, involved not only over your life, but in you. The potential of God is that in that moment, as God said, let there be light, the Spirit of God moved and there was light. Let the waters be separated from the earth. The Spirit of God moved and the waters were separated. And in the same way, God's Spirit is over your life. And the moment you begin to pray, the moment you begin to say, God, this is what I long for. God gives the command and the Spirit moves. And things come into being. You can pray things into being this year. Absolutely. You could pray it into being. Rokaf, pulsating, brooding. God has filled us with, with His Spirit by the power of Pentecost. And so He's ready to shake, to move, to deliver, to change, to restore, to rush upon you 
in this year, in 2022, to strengthen and transform and use your life in powerful ways. So come on, church, let's not think small about 2022. Let's not have small plans. Let's not have small dreams. Let's not have small hopes. What is that thing that you are thinking about that you think that's just too much? Ask God for it. Ask God for it. The Spirit of God is pulsating and ready to move. And so God invites us to trust in Him, to dwell at His throne of grace. And so prayer is an act that we must not only commit ourselves to daily, but also that we've got to walk in as a lifestyle. You know, it's the difference between visiting a friend every now and again and having a conversation and actually living with that friend. It's somebody that you are with all of the time, and so you don't need a special occasion or a bunch of protocol. Some people have got too much protocol in their prayer. You've got some bad theology in the past, and you think that you've got to, okay, now I've got to enter the courts with praise, and then what's the next thing? I've got to come to the altar, and I've got to, you know, and there's like a, a protocol. You know what? Jesus has gone through all the protocol for you. All you need to do is open your mouth and begin to speak to God. I preached a message a few years ago at Anchor Church called There Is No Try, echoing the, the words of the famous theologian Yoda from Star Wars. You do or do not, there is no try. You don't have to try and pray. The moment you begin thinking about prayer, you're already praying. So just speak to God. Let it be authentic. Let it be everyday. Let it be a lifestyle. And your life will vibrate with the power of, and the presence of God. The potential of what God could do through your life in this year is limitless. It's limitless. In 1 John 5 verse 14, and I want to kind of land on this this morning. 1 John 5 verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. We have this as a confidence that when we pray and it's in accordance with God's will, He hears us. And the moment we preach that scripture, because I've preached it before, the Baptists in the back, any Baptists here this morning? We love you. You're so welcome. But the Baptist, highly educated theological scholars, they jump up and they go, no, but it's according to the will of God only. Just remember everybody, the will of God, it's not everything you want. Baptists don't talk like that, I'm just having fun. But, um, you know, they're like, oh, it's, it's not everything. You can't just ask for anything. And so they make that the main purpose of, or the main focus of that verse. And, and, and so my response to that is always, well, obviously, <laughs> obviously God is not going to give you something that's not in accordance with his will. He's not in division regarding himself. God is not, doesn't have inner conflict. His will is perfect. If it's in his will, he does it. If it's not in his will, he doesn't do it. God is, is not schizophrenic that way, right? And so obviously, if you pray for something and you say, God, I want a pink elephant with polka dots to fall out of the sky right now so I can ride it home, God's going to go, no, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. We don't have to worry about God's will. God knows God's will. What they miss in the scripture is where it says, whatever you ask. Whatever you ask, 
God, if it's in His will, will do it for you. And so, so many times we don't ask because we feel like we don't know if it's God's will. Can I ask God? Let's think about something that for you might be crazy. Let's say you've got a heap of debt. And you're asking God, God, will you help me be completely debt-free by the end of this year? Is that God's will? I don't know. I made the debt. You know, I, I committed to that. Is that. Does God, I don't know, that's maybe a little bit too earthly. I, I, I can pray for, you know, certain spiritual things, but that's too practical, maybe, maybe selfish. I don't know. So I'm just not going to pray it. God's like, okay, if you don't ask for it, you won't have it. But what if you ask for it and it turns out to be God's will? And you end up experiencing that. And you end up sharing a testimony here in a year's time about how God delivered you from the bondage of debt. How about a new job? Or a new career? Or a husband or a wife? Or a child for some of you that have been struggling to have children? How many of us say, I don't know if it's God's will, so I won't ask? Do you know in my life? I don't ask myself if it's God's will for me to ask. I ask and then I let God tell me whether or not it's His will. I just ask. That's my job. My job is whatever I ask. God's job is yes or no. Can we let God be God this year? And instead just ask. You see, faith is activated in the ask. And what people miss in this verse because they've got their defenses up against any form of prosperity gospel is the really obvious thing that John is telling us where if we reverse engineer the scripture for a moment, it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we will have the requests that we asked of him. So reversing this engineer or re reverse engineering this verse, this is what the verse is also saying. There may be some things that is absolutely within God's will for you to have this year that you won't have if you don't ask. Come on, that right there should make all of us up our prayer like 10 times. There's legit stuff that God will want to do in your life this year that he won't if you don't ask. Because if you don't ask, you're not trusting him for it. Your faith isn't activated, so you won't have it. But if you ask, could it be that it may be God's will for you? Allow him to answer the prayer. But in order for God to answer the prayer, guess what? You've got to pray it. You've got to ask. Then God can answer. And so what are the things that we won't have because we haven't asked? And the Bible actually says that. James says you don't have because you don't ask. And so we can just go about asking and trusting God for everything he has for us. Jesus tells us very clearly, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Church, Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's committed to you because of who He is. He is love. And so He wants good things for you. Stop telling yourself that God doesn't want to do good things in your life and allow God to do the immeasurable, the, the things that, were, that you would have thought impossible in this time. What would our lives look like if we spent just, the, just a portion of the time we mindlessly scroll on our phones every day just asking God? What if you just started with 10 minutes? 
Just 10 minutes. And just start asking God and trusting God for certain things. Praying instead. I believe we'll turn a city upside down. I want to give you one or two stories, just examples of some answered prayer in my life. I could honestly go on for another hundred days about miracles that God has done in my life that are absolute miracles just purely because I asked. And sometimes they were for the most insignificant things. Sometimes they were for life-changing things. One of those things was, was when I asked God if he would let Lee be my wife. If you've seen my wife and you've seen me, you'll know that that's a miracle. You'll know that, that God must have spoken to her. But I'd never spoken to her before. I'd never approached her. We'd never had a conversation. And so I remember sitting in a room and praying and saying, God, I don't know what you have for my future. I don't know who the person may be, if there even is a person that you want me to spend the rest of my life with. But God, I'm just asking you, if it can be Lee, please let it be. Now you laugh now, but there she is. God said, yes. I could have gone, no, this, you know. I, I remember showing a friend of mine, good friend, <laughs> a photo of Lee before I had spoken to her. And I said, this is the girl that I just, you know, feel something for. And he, and he literally went like this. He said, yeah, no, it's good, it's good to, you know, set your hopes high. It's good. To... <laughs> Today, I have an incredible marriage to a girl that I'm completely crazy about. But before all of that happened, I asked God. And you know what God said? Yes. Amazing thing when we begin to ask. I wonder if she would have said yes if I, to, to that day when I asked her to lunch if, if I hadn't prayed first. I know that Sean would never have said yes to Aaron if it wasn't for the grace of God. Ryan didn't pray. Ryan just revved his engine. That's another story for another day. But from the time that I was five years old, God has answered my prayers and simple, non-religious. I'm not talking about deep intercession where, you know, uh, I'm involving all kinds of, you know, prayer mats and things that people do with prayer and anointing oils and just, just, hey God, this is something I desire. Since the time I was five years old, God has answered these prayers. Now, let me give you a more recent example of something slightly less life-changing. And you're going to laugh at this. Some of you may, but um, Lee and I have developed a mission besides for our mission to take the gospel to as many people on the face of the earth as we can. We've developed a mission in, in the past few years to try and see every bird in Southern Africa. All right. Don't ask me why we decided that this is something that we wanted to do. But there are 994 birds that have ever been seen below the Zambezi River from Zambia and Zimbabwe down all the way from the top of Botswana down all the way to the, the, the Cape Point. And so 994 birds that have ever been seen, and we just decided, hey, it would be great to see every single one of them, all right? And so this is kind of what we do in our spare time. We'll drive out to go and find a bird that we've never seen again and uh, take a photo of it. And the problem we realized with that is that there are some birds in the 994 that only come to the country like once a generation they land here. They've only ever been seen once. 
They've only ever been there. So now we have to hope that it's within our lifetimes that this bird will decide to visit again. And so when we were down in Cape Town uh, in, at the end of December, uh, we were going to go and meet up with Will and Nungi. They were coming from the airport. Uh, we had weddings that we were doing down there. And, and uh, we got a notification that there was a bird that was hanging out in Strand. And so we said, hey, guys, would you mind taking an Uber? We just have to go do something first. And so they did, because they're good friends. We, we abandoned them, and we went to go find a bird. But this bird had only been in the country 15 times before, and it was there. And we went, and we found it, and, then, and, and that was awesome. But on the way down to, to Cape Town, there was a Madagascan cuckoo that had landed in Bloemfontein. So on the drive down, you know, you know driving to Cape Town is easily 13, 14-hour drive. We stop in Bloemfontein on the way, about 40 kilometers outside Bloem. And we go walking around in the heat. I'm talking about 40-degree heat. In, uh, had, the park was closed the day before because of how much mud and rain was there. And we're walking through the mud. We are being bitten by some vicious mosquitoes. I mean, it was insane. They are not like Joburg mosquitoes where you feel a little bit itchy later. It actually hurts when they sting you. We walk around for three hours. I get sunburnt. And at uh, the end of the, end of the day, we don't find the bird. All right? So we, we, we go to Cape Town. But, you know, I'm not one to give up. So on the way back, now we've got our kids in tow, and uh, we decide we're going to sleep over in Bloom. We're going to wake up early in the morning, and we're going to go and find this, uh, this bird. We've, we had realized we were looking in completely the wrong area. So we book the whole family into an Airbnb <laughs> in Bloemfontein. We wake up at 5 in the morning, and we drive through to this, this reserve early, early in the morning. And so now Lee and myself and our three boys are trudging through the mud, looking for this bird for a few hours already, all right? I've actually got a photo of where we were just looking for this bird, if that has loaded. There we go. That's, you can see how impressed my boys look. <laughs> Everybody's having a ton of fun right there, and uh, we're just looking for this bird. Now, I want to remind you, there's one of them in the whole South Africa. It's not like you can find that type. There's only one in the whole country. And it's somewhere in a massive reserve. And so this requires some faith. And so we're walking around. And, uh, and so after a few hours of walking around, I should have maybe done it earlier. I pray about it. And I just say, hey, God, um, you know, please let us find this bird. <laughs> please let us find this one bird. And the moment I prayed, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but the moment I pray, I tell myself, you're not going to find it. Have you ever done that? Now, God, can I have this? No. Nope. You tell yourself, no, you can't. God's like, I, was, I haven't even answered yet. You're like, no, I can't have it. I literally think to myself, other people will see it, but you won't. You'll even be with a group of people and they'll all see it, but you will not see it. I don't know if you ever do that to yourself when you're praying, but that's what was happening in my own mind. I'm like, I convinced myself instantly that we've driven, slept over, paid to stay in Bloemfontein, come to this park at the crack of dawn, walked around with three kids for no reason. That was what I was telling myself in that moment. And so I begin to bargain with God. And, and it's amazing how we think that if we minimize our prayers, God will be able to answer. But the moment they get too audacious, we're going to lose the prayer completely. So I say, okay, God, can I just get a flash of it? I don't need to get a photo. If it can just fly over and we can be like, I think that was it. That'll be fine. I can put it on my list. It'll be fine. 
This is literally the conversation I'm having in my head with God. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, Adrian, why do you always pray for the minimum? Why do you always pray for the minimum? So I go, no, I'm now actually going to pray with faith. And I say, God, not only do I want to see this bird, I want my whole family to see the bird. And I want to be able to walk up to the bird without the bird flying away. And then I want to get world-class photos of this bird. That's what I want. That's what I'm believing for. And so a little while later, we hear the bird calling. And it's nowhere near us, but it's somewhere. And we hear it calling, and, and, and we still think, you know, I'm still praying, and I'm still trusting God. And so the next thing, we hear it, and we walk through, and the bird we come out and the bird is, we hear it and we see it and it's sitting there. And I get some pretty good photos, but at this point, some other birders had arrived as well and they're also now seeing it and I don't want to get too close. You know, I, I know I prayed that I'd be able to approach this bird, but now it's you know, like ethical problems. You know, I'm going to scare the bird away and other people are like, why are you being, you know, like that? And so, and so, and so I wait and so I see the bird, but at this point, so the story's going to end soon, I promise, but... My boys had gone back to the car to watch movies because it got hot and it got long. And so they're in the car watching movies on iPads while we're in the bush, Lee and I. We're like leaving our kids to be parented by Disney while we're looking for birds in the bush. But we, we, we find this bird and we walk back. We get photos, get some pretty good photos, and we walk back to the car. Um, actually, we walk back to the car because we heard our kids calling. They were, thought we had abandoned them. So we go back, and I show them the photos. I'm like, we found it, boys, but you heard it, and you were with us, and so you can put it on your lists as well. It's okay. And so we, get, we, we take some time. We get the mud off of our shoes. We get into the car. We, you know, we have some coffee, and then we drive out. And as we're driving out, I hear some sobbing behind me. And I, and I turn around, and Eli is just, he's got like crocodile tears. And he's like, I knew I shouldn't have watched movies. I knew I should have stayed with you. I really, and I was like, you can add it. And he's like, no, I didn't see it. I'm not going to add it. Like, and so I'm thinking, so I stopped the car. I'm like, let's go look for it again. And so we get out of the car. And we're walking and he's still wiping his tears away. And I said, God, he wants to see it. Please let him see it. As we walk, and we just ran, we just took pick a line, we walk straight into the bush. We walk straight into the bird. It's sitting there. The bird doesn't move. I call my other kids from the car, come. One by one, they get out, and really too slowly, walk towards us, making a big noise. And it was like that bird was just stuck on the branch. It wasn't going anywhere. They all see it. We all look at it. And eventually, I've got my camera. I'm like, I'm going to see how close I can get. And I start just edging forward, edging forward, edging forward. Eventually, I am standing 10 meters away from a bird that has very rarely been seen in our country, and I'm getting photos that you shouldn't be getting. I even said to God when I prayed, let the photo be unobscured by branches and little things. I want a clear photo. And at the end of the day, this was the photo I was able to get of this bird. Sitting right there, it's lost. It should be in Madagascar. It chose South Africa, and I'm standing 10 meters away from it from, with three noisy kids. Now, here's the thing. It's, this is inconsequential to the rest of my life, I know. But if you can trust God with the small things, you're going to start trusting God with the big things. If God can allow me and my boys and my wife and all of us to see one bird that's in an entire reserve in an entire country, why wouldn't He be able to help you with whatever your request is this year? 
no matter how impossible it seems. You see, it's a lifestyle of prayer. We pray for the small things and the big things. And you know what? Oftentimes it takes the same amount of faith for both. Sometimes we can trust God to heal cancer, but not a headache. We've got to start trusting God in all things, in all things. He is faithful. What could you miss out on this year if you didn't ask for it? What, we, what could we miss out on as a church if we don't ask for it? Do we want our own building? Not one that we lease, one that we own. Let's ask for it. Do we want to see multitudes saved and baptized and discipled? Let's ask for it. Do we want to see God do miracles in and through our lives? Let's ask for it. What about your life? James 5 verse 16 says, The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person avails much. It produces this result. So in the next 21 days, and this was just something I felt in my heart. This is not a religious thing. We haven't done this in the beginning of the year ever. But I just felt let's, let's position ourselves to hear from God and to trust in Him. I could have prayed nonstop, sitting in my car, driving home to see a Madagascan cuckoo. But you know what I did as well as pray? I went to the reserve. I put myself in the position to receive. And so fasting is a way of positioning yourself before God so that you can receive from Him what God has for you this year. I'm gonna put up, we're gonna do the 21-day the prayer, but I've got a, a code that I'm gonna put up right now. It's a, it's a QR code. You should be able to open up your phone and you can do this in a minute after I've prayed. You can open up your phone and you can go on there and if you, open, if you, if you scan that with your camera, it should give you a link and that'll give you, take you to a website um, on our website with a guide of things that you can eat if you wanna know if you've never done a Daniel's Fast before and also um, what we're praying for. So you can go ahead and, and check that out and we'll be updating that as we go along. But also we've started on Facebook, we've started a group which I know was an old thing, but it's really effective because there's algorithms that mean that even when we post stuff, you don't always see it. But if you join our group, you will see it. And we're gonna start being a lot more interactive on that Facebook group. And I actually wanna take us, I'll do little videos every day or every few days, just devotionals as we go through these 21 days, giving you things you can pray for um, together on that group. And so go ahead and join our Facebook group as well. Um, and, uh, and just in, engage with us. And we're going to go on this 21-day journey together. We believe that God is going to do incredible things in 2022. Amen? Over your life. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Come on.